This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns Vodin. We just released our latest clothing range. Um, it's our winter range, and the whole range is entirely plastic free. The flagship product is our overshirt. And what's special about this is that it weighs a whopping 300 GSM. Now, I know GSM means nothing to most people, it's grams per square meter. And your average shirt is about 160. So this is twice that. And all it means is just it's a really nice heavyweight. It's perfect for layering up in the cold winter months. It's made from 100% cotton. It's got real horn buttons, of course. One of the other products we've got is our knitter hooded sweater. It's a really nice 100% cotton knitted sweatshirt. It's got rolled hems. It's got a cross hood. Um, and it's, it's a really rustic looking, very kind of on-brand hooded. And again, you know, the range carries on into some other items. We've got 100% merino wool beanies. Uh, we've got those in three colours. We've got rust, red, and black. And then we've got a range of t-shirts, as always. These are long sleeve baseball style t-shirts. Uh, we've got a beautiful burnt orange uh, and black with our logo on the front there, a grey and black. We've got a nice sort of toffee and coffee colour combination. And then we've got very typical baseball t-shirts with a, a red and white and then a burgundy and white so yeah just just pop over onto the website hornsvoning.com use the promo code horns10 and you're going to get 10 percent discount off anything store-wide that's the new range or anything that we already stock other than that so use the code horns10 and you're going to get 10 percent off right let's jump into the show Welcome to the Naughty Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, corner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. So this time we're joined by Josh Rudd, who is a PhD researcher at the University of Iceland, and he's working on things that have to do with like contemporary neo-paganisms and you know how how um, people are interpreting the Viking culture in modern times. And today we're going to talk with Josh about the possibility of whether or not Vikings have worn locked hair. And we are of course very aware that this is a contentious and controversial topic. So we're going to try to tread lightly, but welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks. I'm uh, glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it will be, it will be fine. This is a, a safe place. Uh, <laughs> it's a safe place. It's it has safe. been so far. I mean, I, this is, though, it does seem to be a very controversial issue. I know as soon as we kind of put the, the the episode topic out there and popped into our Discord, we had back and forth between different opinions on it. So it does just seem to to trigger something with people. Um, I don't really understand why, but hopefully we can. We can go into that. Yeah, we we can go into that. Um, I don't want to. We have to go into it to some degree. Um, but I, I I I don't want to get too deep down that rabbit hole. Um, but but as Matthias said in the beginning, there's a few things that need to be to to be. It just has. There are things that have to be addressed. Um, and so just to start off, 
to set the record straight on where I stand, I, I think my record is pretty open and uh, public. Um, and my stance as an overtly anti-racist uh, individual, my PhD and in part focuses on racist misappropriations of Old Norse religion, um, because that, that is a battleground, as everybody knows. Um, and, and I'm deeply involved in and, and, and um, upt- <laughs> the Norwegian word is uptaught, uptaken with, what's the word in English? <laughs> uh, concerned with. Concerned with uh, um, the, the, the battle over um, making the world a, a, a safe place for everybody, uh, where everybody is able to pursue their uh, uh, their own life's goals and dreams and, and, and be able to be safe. And due to a lot of things today, uh, the increase in multiculturalism, um, there has been, and the smallness of the world because of social media and such, we are seeing a, a lot of uh, conflicts and things being hashed out and brought into the light. And, and that has caused... Um, well, I hate to say it, but in, in the United States, especially, uh, we're seeing some very polarizing uh, discourses. And I say discourses because what I look at a lot of people arguing about in the United States, um, it's a, they're create, there's a, there's reality and then there's social realities and there's social discourses. And, 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 and you can see it in the United States, the polarized two-party system it has become the reality there. It doesn't have to be the reality, but it has become a self-perpetuating reality. And this is what we have. And so a lot of things that should be nuanced uh, have become extremely polarizing um, and just removed from reality in, in many cases. So it, it becomes very difficult to talk about things uh, like like this <laughs> you know if you are a person who is concerned about these issues you will start you know you know, you'll you'll like things on facebook uh for instance uh, follow uh, people who have to do with that and then because of the algorithms then facebook starts just like piling subjects uh, re- uh concerning that uh, um uh, general field of, of subjects so to speak um onto your feed which then you know creates this situation where where uh, whatever you follow and whatever you know happens in your feed is is like slowly starts taking over your uh, your general experience of the world and how you how you perceive the world um, because as they say um, um, as Tristan Harris says um, we are paleolithic brains with medieval uh, social structures and societal structures and like godlike technology so 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 this is something i think everybody should keep in mind when they're listening to to people talk about these subjects like if like if you're like you know if you're having some kind of like uh, averse reaction to 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 uh, what Josh is going to say, for instance, consider how you may have, uh, you know, been influenced by your social media interests and and your feed, and to think in a certain way, and then try to deconstruct that. Because regardless of whether or not you end up on the right side of the spectrum or the left side of the spectrum, you're gonna be 
you're you're gonna be stuck in a rabbit hole, so to speak. So keep that in mind. Yeah, it's it's the same in the UK, especially um, old newspapers. They realize that they don't get money from from people buying newspapers anymore, so it has to go online, and then it just becomes a clickbait war of who can have the most entertaining headline to make you click click that link so you just go on that that website and then mm-hmm. you they, they get the advertisement money and that's all it's become about yeah. so it's not about the content of the article anymore it's about the headline and getting you to go on that website see the adverts and that's it yeah exactly what they're basically doing with, with news outlets and and social media doing is that they're preying on our basic emotions as as uh as uh, they call, uh, called it out in that uh, show, Tristan Harris, I think it was, who said, uh, this is a race to the bottom of the brainstem, right? That's yeah. what all of this is about. Right? Oh, <laughs> so so, are, so this, it... this tells you, like, what, what I want to highlight with that is that if you're sitting out there right now, boiling over the subject of, you know, locked hair. And... I haven't even gotten into it yet. No, exactly. <laughs> but if it, it, I, I want to, I, the thing is that I want to cushion you as much as possible on this one. Like, if you're sitting out there, you know, uh, getting pissed off about these subjects, just consider that you've been primed to be pissed off about it from social media and from the the, the media, uh, clickbait media in general. And that's really important to keep in mind because I, the, as you started out, Josh, you you pointed out. Um, your anti-racist work and this podcast also exists for the on that same basis me and dan uh, decided to make this podcast because we were like well there needs to be some platform out there that tells the racists who want to appropriate viking shit in Nordic mythology to go fuck themselves mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like we're, we're all committed to to that right and that's really important to keep in mind yeah. when we now go into the subject of blood hair. I, th- I, th- I think that the, the easiest way to put it is that if you if you think or if you, you have a certain opinion on this, just listen to the episode. Listen all the way through the episode. Listen to what Josh says. And if you still think what you think, then you then fair enough, you think what you think. Or maybe, you, maybe you're just going to change your opinion. But either way, you don't have to get upset or angry or attack anybody. Like, it doesn't have to ever go to that. Whatever happened to just having conversations and then maybe you just disagree on it and you go your own way and that's it and everybody's everybody's fine it doesn't have to become this huge area of conflict um but everything seems to do with the minute but well, josh do we could, we could we could after i mean i have to of course talk about the uh, history but uh we 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 can I mean, very much talk about the modern implications and go into the things that have people pissed off. Because I tell you right now that there's a lot of things about the the rhetoric and the discussion today that has me pissed off. Um, and 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 so I'm not here to to just talk about something and then go my you know my way. There are things that have me very angry. Uh, with the way that people talk today, because there there is a lot in our contemporary uh, the discussion about race uh, and identity and uh, uh, ethnicity and culture that has been um, swallowed into to big, I guess you would say, rhetorical dis- uh, structures that do nothing but uphold racism. Mm-hmm. So when people say that they're fighting against racism, they need to look at the structures that their words are supporting. Uh, and we can get into that. But but there's a lot of what I would call 
counterproductive, damaging discourses out there today that really get in the way of people who are genuinely trying to uh, stop the rise of nationalism and white nationalism and, and damaging ideologies and people that hurt other people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I get very fired up about it. So we can get into that. But um, I think we disclaimed enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think this is a good you know, foundation for us. So, all right, let us let us hear what you have to tell us on this subject. I mean, I didn't I didn't create a, a, a manuscript, so I, I mean, I don't have a uh, uh, you know, I don't have a lecture to give you. Uh, but we can start and just kind of go through it, right? So, uh, as you have seen, it's contentious when we talk about dreadlocks. Uh, or locked hair, or matted hair, um, and, and I was doing some blogosphere surfing in preparation for this talk, and I wanted to gouge my eyes out, uh, because there's a lot of blatantly false information surfing right around on the mainstream. I mean, the, the, the mainstream discourse has no idea about locked hair traditions. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been, especially in the United States, uh, which tends to dominate uh, in many ways uh, media perceptions of popular things. Um, and so, <clears throat> so, but I'm also a member of a lot of locked hair forums and groups, and 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 uh, so I've for years, so I've I've seen a lot of the discourses that take place there. And and one of the one of the content one of the things is people saying that the debate over did the Vikings have locked hair? And one of the reasons why you have that, that claim, of course, we've all seen the show Vikings. Uh, there are people with locked hair on the show. Uh, actually, let me, let me, we have all seen Vikings, but I haven't seen all of Vikings because I can't stand the show. But <laughs> oh, you had to put that in there. I did. Just, I just, did. just to be cool. It had to be cool. I, yeah. Yeah. But well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm cool with you on that one. <laughs> uh, the first episodes, uh, no, the first uh, the first couple of seasons are good, but later on, it's just like, you know, they just trying yeah. to trying to. As survive. it goes, I had a harder and harder time with it, but yeah, I ended up saying fuck this and stuff. Well, watching. I watched it all, and I didn't <laughs> enjoy the last couple of series, but I still watched them because I was I mean, invested. <laughs> I, I I couldn't get invested. I, I just was screaming at the TV too much. <laughs> it does go downhill quite a lot, uh, but I have to say, I have to but, say, uh, Bjorn's uh, um, uh, like death at the end is pretty cool. Like that. Does Bjorn die? Oh, maybe yes. I should watch it because I really didn't like him. But I didn't like any of Ragnar's sons. That that's actually, I I limped through to that <laughs> the part where Ragnar. I really didn't like. Travis Fimmel is okay in some other things, but I really didn't like him in this. I liked the uh, the English king, the heretical English king. I forgot his name, but uh, he, he was a cool he was a cool character. But Ella, uh, yeah, uh, the yeah. no Egbert. Oh, yeah. Egbert. Egbert. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, he was right. he was a good. He was a, he was a all good right, guy. all right. Let's get back on track, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> ADHD. Uh, so, so, so anyways, but what happens is, and, and this is an important thing if I can get back, if we do get back to it later on, but in uh, the English speaking world, particularly in the United States, people, because of the cultural appropriation discussion, 
the discourse on cultural appropriation. Uh, and because of the way that America and Americans in particular perceive things like ethnicity, culture, uh, and race, they've kind of clumped them all together into these giant categories. Uh, you end up with a lot of uh, people feeling that they need to justify their right to do something. And it's usually justifying it by claiming that it's a part of their heritage. Uh, I, I see this, I moderate an also through group, and it genuinely depresses me how often new members, we have questionnaires, you know, why do you want to join? And uh, one of them is, uh, what is your connection to also through? What, what draws you to also through? And it's just depressing how many people not racists, just how many people feel like they need to justify it by saying, oh, I have a, I'm part Norwegian, uh, my descendancy. And, and it's just a thing with Americans, um, especially, but it's, it's, you know, elsewhere as well, that they need to justify what they do by saying that it's a part of their culture. And so we've gotten this discourse where now people are saying, uh, I have locked hair because the Vikings have locked hair, so I have the right to have locked hair. And, and the thing is, if you, whether or not you lock your hair today, I mean, today and a thousand years ago are very, very different. Uh, and we can talk about that. Um, uh, but whether or not the Vikings did lock, up, lock their hair um, should be entirely irrelevant to your right or lack of a right to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why the question is up. But uh, the Vikings locked their hair. Uh, the question of did they? Um, let me ask you a question, Dan. Do uh, oh, no, no, don't pick on me. Do, do, <laughs> I'm trying to not get in trouble this episode. Yeah. Do, 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 do English people have locked hair? Uh, in what sense? Do, do English people have locked hair or not? Um, <laughs> do some do some English people today? do lock their hair yes um naturally oh i'm making noises i didn't even know i could make <laughs> matthias do, do, do americans have locked hair do danes have locked hair yes yes and yes. no it, uh, yeah i mean it, it like <laughs> well if you're asking me do danes have locked hair right then i'll have to like take into consideration all all the Danes that exist out there, right? That's a yeah. six million something. Yeah. Um, and and I know for a fact that uh, you can find people um, of different races too, like in Denmark, uh, with locked hair. You know, right. Some some have white skin, some have black skin. You know, yeah. So so I'll have to say yes to that. That that's so like the reason. The, I, the reason I, the reason I brought that up was because I the, the question, the idea of quote the Vikings having or not having something is it, it's an absolutely problematic question because they weren't a they weren't all doing the same thing they weren't they weren't all models of each other they weren't no. so homogenous even with it and, and I'll get to that but one thing because you Dan you had said um naturally and that's that leads me to the first uh thing to clear up Locked hair and how it forms. I mean, so there's going to be people out there saying, stop saying locks. I mean, it doesn't matter what the word is. Mad, all, this is a fact, all human hair will, if you do not brush it, become locks. 
And th that is a fact, all human hair types or, or matted or whatever you want to call it. Um, now throughout history, uh, it is just, it's a, it's a, it's a natural phenomena that occurs with human hair and, and dog hair. And <laughs> um, well, there, are, there are breeds of dogs that have what look like yeah. dreadlocks. They look like mops. Yeah. 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 No, it happens to all human hair. And this is something that a lot of uh, Western people, I think, don't realize. I, I didn't know that people didn't think about that until a couple months ago where I was explaining to people uh, and they were like, wait, so all hair does that? I was like, yeah what yeah you need to, that's what you need to be telling people it, it, it all hair does it it's not one type of hair that does it um and and so that's the first thing so we can accept that or we know that this is a natural phenomenon so the real interesting question is what role does locked hair or has locked hair played in different civilizations and cultures throughout history that's the more important question because as a naturally occurring phenomena, when you don't brush it, um, it's going to happen everywhere and it's going to cause different treatments, different ways of looking at it. So there's that. Um, and there's another, you know, the human hair, it's, it's, it's one of the, the only parts of the human body, one of the few parts of the human body that so actively changes, you know, your beard and your hair and uh, your nails perhaps, and, and, and whether or not you can paint yourself or not. But human hair is an actual part of the body that actually changes um, and transforms. As such, it has become in cultures around the world a very strong way of signifying within your own society, different things, whether it's, uh, uh, that your uh, your status it, hair is used to to indicate uh, whether you're a high in the Middle Ages it was used quite often to indicate whether people were free or slaves highborn not highborn uh, whether they belong to a particular religious communities or not or where they were on perhaps different spiritual or personal or or, or societal journeys and 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 there's I mean the the, the uh, the cataloging of how much uh, people have changed their you know, changed their hair to to reflect various uh, uh, just to 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 portray themselves to within their society is there's too much to even go into. Um, so that being said, um, I think that people really underestimate. Uh, how diverse traditional societies were in the Middle Ages and in the, particular, I mean, because when, as Christianity spread throughout Europe, it, it tried to create a sense of Christendom, a sense of singular Europeanness or, or usness, Christianness. Um, but even within, throughout the Middle Ages, people were incredibly diverse and insanely different ways of dressing and eating and and folk traditions and folk beliefs but before that uh, before people uh, when during the iron age and while people were still in less homogenized uh, societies there would have been much more diversity um so i'm kind of setting up here um to say 
uh, let's see. Let me look here. I've got a couple of notes here because <laughs> y'all stopped talking and I realized now I'm giving a speech. He has, um, got, he has got a manuscript. Well, I mean, there. uh, there's, I do. I know. Uh, I got some notes here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I get what you're saying that we're dealing with a, a, a you know, a lot of diversity really right, right. but people tend to, uh, to 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 associate with the medieval period um especially in the anglophone world i would say is something that is sort of like a mix of medieval england and medieval france right um it's usually the bowl cut uh, when it comes to hair it's usually the bowl cut and then it's the tunic the frankish tunic that you see um you know you, you, this is this is what Going back to Vikings, this is what uh, the English looked like pretty much in Vikings, uh, bowl cuts and tunics. And that's what the Franks would look like in the 700s. Like that, that's really what we're dealing with here in mm -hmm. terms of ideas of uh, what, what the medieval period is in, in visually. Of course, that's uh, their, their fashion trends of various kinds. And there, uh, there are things that, that, that uh, uh, appear similar. Um, like, for instance, we can see you know, Scandinavians get really into the bowl cut and and the the, the Frankish tunic from the 800s and onwards. And like, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a. Just if we if we get to it, I I I, I recorded a couple descriptions of different people. Mm -hmm. uh, most of it's from before the Viking Age, uh, but there's there's a couple from during the Viking Age. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just because it's it's actually it's a little bit illuminating how diverse people were. And how weird they were! Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how we said weird... it. Huh? We said it on the last episode. We said it on the last episode about people just peacocking, and whether it's peacocking with armor, you're gonna people do the same with hair. They want to stand mm. out, out from the yeah. crowd. Um, Josh, I and guess there was even an Icelander named Peacock. So there you go. <laughs> Olaf the Peacock. Yeah. <laughs> so we you learned that in the we learned that in the story time episode. Available Patreon exclusive. Sign on to Patreon. Um, Josh, one question I wanted to ask you um, is the the argument I guess I always see against Vikings having dreadlocks is they really cared about their appearance and they had combs, yeah. um, so they didn't have dreadlocks. So they so they wouldn't so they wouldn't allow their hair to mat and then get right. locked. I guess is is the argument. Right. That's what a lot of people say, and 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 the thing is, I even wrote down uh, people like to say, well. We have a lot of evidence for combs and descriptions that they were well-groomed. We have very few descriptions of them, and even less saying that they're well-groomed. Even Fodlin calls them the most filthy creatures of Allah's creation. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, that, is, that, is, that is the argument that I, uh, I usually bring up, with all the fucking combs that we find. But they're pre-Viking Age, though. We find a lot of warriors with combs in, in like the, 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 the Iron Age, the right. Roman and Germanic Iron Age, right? So, yeah. But I will, you know, I'm going to just go on to say what we find only represents a small percentage of what there was. And, and we, tend to, we tend to take what little bit we find and then project that onto an entire society. And we sort of wash what would have been diverse because they haven't left traces of their diversity or where they are doing something that is sort of against the societal trend. Uh, uh, transgressive to a degree or, or certain groups of people who are liminal, they're outside of the norm. We don't see those things because we only see what was common. Now, well, sometimes we see things, that, and this is this 
specifically applies to Vikings or Scandinavians in the Viking age. We see things that really belong to a subculture in Scandinavian Viking age society. Exactly. Right? The whole the whole concept of the Viking is is a subculture in Scandinavian society at the time, right? So, exactly. Yeah. And 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 so we really don't have and I will, uh, you know, written sources. Uh, I mean, uh, I've been waiting when I want to bust out this this one description. I think Matthias already knows what it is. I'll bring it up in a bit. Uh, but I'm, written I'm, I'm so much waiting for it. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> written, written descriptions do not, they are an extremely poor uh, way of looking at the live, a lived society, especially when they're lit, written descriptions by outsiders. And when you've only got a tiny, handful which is what we have for scandinavia i'll get back to this but i will kind of stop teasing everybody and answer the question did vikings lock their hair uh and the answer is no and yes no and yes and i say that with great confidence um and and the reason is it goes back to my original point locked hair existed it exists naturally so the question, the question of did they isn't the right question. The question is what role did this sort of hair have within their society? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, I was going to say, can I, if, if you don't mind me jumping in, can I give you what I think might be the case? And then you tell me if, if that's wrong. Because I've been thinking about this all week. Um, so I, I, I wonder if I could just say what I can, the, the, the assumption that I came to um, on my own and maybe you can say yeah that's right or that that's wrong but i guess i would think that um obviously we have some combs and i imagine the wealthy would use combs and comb their hair but the poor probably wouldn't be able to afford combs um so the hair would start to mat and then rather than it kind of be everywhere and scraggle like scraggly and all kind of in the face a lot then you would then start to pull it into different pieces um, and then it would start to form locks. And that's kind of what I assumed would happen is that it was a way of maybe the poor end of people being able to neaten up their hair without being able to actually comb it through. Um, so it was the, the best of a situation you had. So this is a this is interesting because that seems to be kind of what is happening with uh, Polish and Ukrainian and right and Belarusian peasants in the 1700s, right? Actually, like way before, yeah, yeah, I, way before actually, that. Actually, I wrote but, about it's from that, the 1700s. Actually, we have it, right? It's actually a really fascinating. You can you can actually see a trend. Uh, damn it! There's there's, uh, there's so many things to talk about. And I can't bring them all together. I I skipped over Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhism, <laughs> which I really want to get into because it's very important. Well, yeah. So so I think we should uh, stop like uh, uh, getting you off track, and then then you should just go with the what you wanted to say. <laughs> all right, all, all right. I'll just, I'll just go. I'll go with it. All right. So you know, as I said, locked hair traditions all over the world have existed. Uh, uh, we can get back into. Uh, the the viking age but just as an example and and i think this will sort of shed some light i mean even today uh especially for maybe a lot of our american listeners and 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 such um but locked hair uh it's it's i mean it's uh you, you see it around the world not so much in 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 on a mainstream level 
but you see it in in for example uh I would say that well, actually the oldest tradition in the world of locked hair that we know of is in Hinduism that goes back to the Vedas. Um, and, and the thing is, and this is what a lot of people don't realize, is that, that Hinduism uh, and, and in India, um, locked hair is everywhere. And it has been for over a thousand, for, for as far back as we know. The, the Vedas describe Shiva uh, who in some ways is a cognate to Odin, if we want to get into pre uh, to Indo-European studies, um, as having ropey locked hair. And when he meditates, his, his hair becomes the, the tree roots and, and uh, devotees to Shiva lock their hair. And they're, they have the very long, I mean, this is, the, this is the longest known tradition that we have in modern times. Um, and, and the Hinduism connection and the sadhus is actually really important because that plays a crucial role in the role that uh, locked hair plays today, um, which if we get into it. But uh, and, and then in, in Tibetan Buddhism, there's uh, some groups, uh, particularly the I can't really say it. I've never actually heard it said. I just have read it. But the Nagakpas. So it's a sect of Tibetan Buddhism that that worship um, um, Hevarya, which is a, a, a Tibetan deity who actually is super badass because he wears a headdress of skulls uh, and he has uh, 16 arms that are holding uh, skull cups. That is pretty badass. badass <laughs> yeah. as fuck. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and this is a, a form of tantric ecstasy uh, sort of Buddhism. And they and they will, some of them have shaved heads, some of them have have uh, locked hair. And, 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 and so, and it's a part of, in both Hinduism and in this particular form of Buddhism, it is an outward expression of oaths and an outward connection, uh, uh, demonstration to the greater society of dedication to a particular spiritual path. And that's important because even in India uh, and in Tibet, locked hair is not common. Most people brush their hairs and you can find combs in all the stores. Mm -hmm. um, but you still have uh, this incredibly important part of their society that has locked their hairs and they do so as a way that is away from the norm so when we look at old norse religion um and like i said there's there's not i mean to be able to make any kind of argument about things that existed or didn't exist or how things were in old norse religion is difficult because there's not a lot of sources in general mm -hmm. but i think that if you if you look through the sources you can start to put together pieces that demonstrate uh, what role locked hair would have played. And you see this, in, you see it in both mythological figures as well as legendary figures. Uh, so the, 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 the mythological figures are both Odin and his son Vaule. Uh, if you go to Vullespau, you will see how Odin swears that he will never cut nor brush his hair until he has avenged the death of his son. Yeah, so he makes this outward, this oath. Uh, in Baldur's Dreimer, uh, another Eric poem by a different uh, composer, if we may call it that, Vauli makes that oath. Um, so you got two mythological figures. 
Uh, we, have, and, we have that repeated in Saxo as well, where Bo, um, who's also a son of Odin, yeah. makes that same oath. Yeah. Right. And so now we're crossing the sea to a different country where somebody is pointing this out. Um, then there's the biggest, the most famous example that I think a lot of people haven't connected the dots on historically. For example, if you watch Vikings, Haraldur Halfagri, Harold Fairhair, <laughs> he's described, I, I, well, for, in Vikings, he's got like a, he's got the hipster haircut, right? And the, like, so he's got the, <laughs> the shaved head, except for the top, right? Mm-hmm. I think. But uh, in, in, in uh, oh, Assassin's Creed, he's got like flowing blonde hair. And uh, of course, the translation of Halfagri is fair hair or fine, beautiful hair or whatever. Um, but the thing is, whether or not he was a real person and what his real history is, that is uh, a point of debate. But there are many, whether or not he actually existed, by the 12th century, in both Norway and Iceland, he was a very real figure in the imagination, in the culture. And, and as such, you have to understand that in that society, people understood the nuances associated with these figures. So kennings, for example, kenning loses its meaning once people don't know what the kenning refers to anymore. Um, a myth uh, and a nickname loses its meaning if people don't have any way of connecting that, of understanding the implications of that. And Harald Halfagri has written, he, he has been... He, he's been written, uh, he, he exists in many written sources from many different uh, uh, authors. But I want to go back to two Eddic poems, or not Eddic, sorry, Skaldic poems, Haraldskvæði, which is, most researchers would agree, uh, probably actually genuine, probably pre-Christian, um, most likely. The Eddic poems you can't say that too much about, but Skaldic poems you generally can. Uh, and probably goes back to when th- this figure would have lived. And in it refers to him as Luva. Or mm. it refers to this, this, this king as Luva that nobody could stand before. And, and so all the, the warriors would flee before him. And, um, and this, is, this same quote exists in a fragment of poem dedicated to Harald Halfagri by a different skald, where it also says that uh, this ruler who was named Luva, none would stand before. And what Luva means is, various translators have tried translating it, and it generally means thick, tightly tightly knotted, uh, matted hair. It means ropey, some translations would be ropey haired. Um, And in various of, uh, let's see, what's one good... uh, I'm trying to read while I talk. Fagraskinna. Uh, uh, his hair became very long and locked and knotted. And thus he was called Luva. Basically what happened was, I'll just go into the story. Within the myth, he swears he would not cut his hair or comb his hair until he unites Norway. And it takes him 10 years to do so. And in that time, his hair grows long and matted and ropey and they call him Luva. Once he conquers Norway, according to the sources, he cuts his hair and they change his nickname to the one that he is known for, which is Harald Halfagri. So you have this this figure who who swears an oath 
10 years in that time, he gets described as uh, his hair is flocket and he gets what is dreadlocks. Now, one thing, I don't like to use the word dreadlock. I know it's the most common term, but it's a term associated with Rastafarianism. Um, and most uh, traditions have nothing to do with Rastafarianism. And as such, I don't like using that word. Um, so for example, in Hinduism, they're called yatta. Uh, we could call the Scandinavian thing luva, but we'll just say uh, locked or matted hair traditions, right? So whether or not he was a king or not, a real king or not, doesn't matter. What we have is this idea of growing out the hair and never brushing it until an oath is accomplished. And, and, and the fact that you have this account in so many, I mean, it's not that many sources, but as far as, I mean, as far as evidence for things in old Norse religion goes, that's a lot of sources. It is. Um, it's a lot yeah. of sources, actually. <laughs> you, should, you should even have one or two to go by, right? Like, right. We've got multiple from, from multiple and multiple forms. We have them in sagas. We have it in skaldic poems. We have it in Eddic poems. We have it in reference to one king, two different gods. Um, it, it's, it's there. Now, if you go further back, because you want to sort of see what else you could maybe find. Um, just, just before you, you move further back, do you think there's a link between Harold, the story of Harold and Odin making that oath? Because they seem very similar. Um, you, it seems kind of like making a, you're refusing to, to, to cut or comb your hair until something happens in yeah. both cases. So do you think Harold is taking like looking at Odin and copying that in some sort of. Well, that's, that's the interesting, that's where it gets, you know, it's already speculative, but, but, you know, if we look at, we, when you look at say, uh, for example, Hinduism, like I said already, um, Sadhu's priests and, and, and dedicants to Shiva, one of the reasons why they will uh, lock their hair is as an outward expression of their dedication to that God. They're emulating a deity. And from it's it's a bit more speculative than the researcher in me likes to re I feel comfortable doing okay. publicly, but uh, it is tempting to wonder if 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 this myth of if this idea of a deity who has locked hair based on an oath, uh, if the deity is the one who uh, I guess carries the traditional knowledge of it. You know, so the myths are associated with deities because the deities are the ones who uh, maintain that form of knowledge. So now you have real life people emulating deities because that knowledge is within the myths. And you see what I mean? It's it's um, it's it's this is how traditional knowledge works. Myths contain ways of being, ways of behaving, and then people in the real world take that and do it. Um, and so if 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 the uh, idea of Odin making this oath and Valli making this oath does go back through the Viking Age, and if Harald or Halfagri existed, and if this or it doesn't, he doesn't need to exist. That's not really the point. The point is the idea of making oaths and not lock and not brushing the hair as an expression to your society um, that must have existed. And so, well, see, this is this is interesting, right? Because we have a Tacitus telling us about the Suevi, right? Right, um, and, and also he, and also the the Shakti, and also mm -hmm. he talks about Civilis. 
Mm -hmm. um, who so specifically? Can you just, so this is like some. This is you know around the, the first century CE, mm. right? Like very very old sources talking about Germanic tribes having hair traditions. Can you just like give us a short rundown of that? Yeah, I mean, um, so as you said in the what uh, Tacitus around one mm hundred. -hmm. Mm -hmm, describes a civilist who who was uh i forgot what tribe he belonged to but but uh it was a germanic uh leader uh and he made a vow that he would not cut his hair uh until he if i forget until he had uh defeated a roman legion or something but the point is he made an oath that he would not cut his hair and he he according to tacitus he dyed it red so he used uh, something to color his hair red, and he would not cut it until he had defeated, accomplished this warlike objective that he had. <laughs> um, so that was civilis, civilis, not syphilis. Uh, uh, <laughs> not syphilis. <laughs> I, um, I, did, I did think it sounded a bit... Uh, civilis. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's also uh, the, the Chatti who were another Germanic tribe who uh, their youth were, or, or their young warriors would not, they would grow their hair in the descriptions. So you always have to remember that these are what a Roman tells us. Um, they would grow their hair and beard and not cut it until they had killed somebody in battle. And then they were allowed to do that. Um, so, and, and you've got this, so there, you've got these other traditions of long hair um, connected to or refusal to cut the hair or uh, or some such going all the way back to the early. I mean, I mean, seeing these connections between Tacitus. Uh, oh, and uh, Gregory of Tours also says that the Saxons, uh, that the Saxons, um, if they were. Uh, slighted or something, they would vow not to cut their hair or their beards until they'd had revenge. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of sources over a very long period of time. These traditions did exist. Now, uh, the, by the way, just the, the Swabian example was the knot that, the, no. but that actually Tacitus specifically says that they comb and mm. then they form an, uh, a knot uh, on the side of the head. Yeah. And there's even there's even like a, an example that has been found, like somebody's yeah. head in a, yeah. in a bog in in northern Germany. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's not exactly the same, but uh, but it's not but, the yeah. same. But it's interesting because um, I think it was uh, Walter Pohl, a uh, researcher, had had looked through a lot of hairstyles and and he observed how uh, among the Alamon, the the Swabians, the the knot was uh, something that was. In fact, I don't even think, I think Tacitus actually says this, that it was something that the highborn, so nobility did this. Mm -hmm. So not all Swabians did this. Certain people did it within Swabian society. Uh, and that had, and that, you know, that symbolized certain things to others within their society. And that goes back to the point of any society we're talking about, there would have been Herat had, uh, diversity um, within that society. Um, that would have meant certain things. So back to the refusal to cut your hair, refusal to brush your hair, it seems, I mean, very clearly connected to oaths. Now, 
uh, and holy oaths of some sort. And perhaps, and this is just the written sources, we don't get to dive into the real, the real uh, ideology that these groups of people would have had, what meaning, uh, you know, when, you, when you're not brushing your hair, it's not just a personal oath. You're doing it to show society something. Therefore, your hair looks a certain way. It's it's ropey. It's knotted. It's it's an it's an outward expression that you are different than the other people who do brush their hair. Which would have been, I think it's I think we can say that most uh, most high born people within Scandinavian society would not have had locked hair. They would have maybe they would have had various hairstyles. In fact, there's a the, there's some great descriptions of ha horrible hairstyles, actually. Um, I forgot who it was. Uh, trying to find it now. Uh, somebody points out that the Danes <laughs> have basically a reverse mullet where, yeah. uh, where the back of the head was... It's almost like Vikings almost got it right, but it's even worse in real life. Where like the back of their head up to the top was shaved, but the front, they had long bangs... That came all the way down to like their mouths. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, there's the other thing: there's the mustache. Okay, so oh yeah, the mustache. <laughs> there are a lot of mustaches in uh, in Viking Age uh, artwork depictions, um, especially and, and even curled ones. Mm -hmm. So, so in fact, it was a uh, Rudolf Simic did a did a. A survey of depictions of people during the Viking Age, uh, and he he points out that there was a lot of diversity among men from the Vendel era through the Viking Age. You see, you see long hair, you see long beards, you see clean shaven, you see mustaches, you see bowl cuts, um, and this is just on rock, you know, uh, mm -hmm. or in, in visual depictions. Uh, but women tend to be very conservative in the hairstyles. Uh, you, you that particularly the those of at least highborn or the idealized what a uh, how women were expected by those who made the art to look. You see, uh, particularly these these types of uh, braids. Um, so that the symbolism of that must have been quite conservative, um, but you have a lot of diversity amongst uh, uh, males for whatever reason. And, 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 and I think that the lived reality, there would have been even more diversity, including among women. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no, this is, um, this is really interesting. So, so what you're saying is that there is a possibility that locked hair could have been uh, something perhaps associated with um particularly with like, you know, such purposes as swearing oaths um, in, in sort of like a very broad timeline of, of Northern European society. Here we, we're talking about uh, going back to, well, Tacitus as, as one of the earliest sources from the first century CE and then it's through the Viking years. age. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, so that, that's a very long period of time. Now, obviously, so for example, Tacitus describes um uh civilis as he doesn't mention the not brushing but that doesn't mean it didn't happen mm. but still that's a 900 year difference you're going to have and and a whole different uh, tribe and and group of people within a tribe mm -hmm. but the the outward expression of the untouched hair um that's quite old 
and 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 so so in in broad terms yeah we have that connection to to sacred oaths um that seems quite pan pan germanic pan central northern european um mm -hmm. because we've got it among various germanic tribes uh and we've got it up through scandinavia and 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 i mean um uh i i don't think that uh composers of skaldic poetry uh or or edic poetry were reading tacitus and gregory of tours probably not no yeah. <laughs> probably so there not. is a reality probably behind not. it yeah. how much of a reality there is is a bit difficult to say mm -hmm. um and this is where i i will kind of kind of swing into a little bit of a modern thing now where we go back to you know relying too much on written sources um or what what little bit of sources we have they can they they there's a lot that they don't tell us and and you can get a very good example of that by looking at uh uh, First Nations people in America during the 1800s and the early 1900s. Now, there is a massive pile of written descriptions uh, of Native people uh, by Europeans and by some Native people um, mm -hmm. from, the 1800, from, through, from the 1700s through the 1800s into the 1900s. I have not been able to find any reference to native people uh locking their hair or having locks um and so if you were to fast forward a thousand years and not have any pictures uh you would read all of these sources and you would not imagine native americans as having locked hair because it never describes them as such and when you watch movies and tv and popular culture you don't see them depicted with locked hair but if you go on google and you do a little searching uh you will find there are a lot of images uh i have uh at least the, what, who is it pound maker right the, um the cree chieftain uh, yeah he was one of them right yeah, he's an example right. of that right yeah 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 and they can be quite elaborate with some of with some native Amer with some of these people uh they've got it woven with 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 beads and feathers um and so it clearly wasn't simple neglect for these people whoever was doing it uh, it, it very clearly had a symbolic meaning, but whatever that meaning was, it's lost to us because there is no reference to it. Right. And it's only and just to be because clear, people have cameras that we're able to know that Native Americans in some contexts locked their hair yeah. up until the early 1900s. And in, and just to be clear, as far as I remember, uh, the, the selection of, of images that I've seen that you've shown me before includes peoples that lived in, around the Great Lakes in the Northeast and also in the Southwest. So it's not, you know, just a, one tribe or one area. We've, we've no. actually seen this across the, the what is now the, the, the United States, right? Yeah, uh, many of them are um, um, uh, Great Plains people. Uh, mm -hmm. But it just so happens that a lot they tended to be have a, a lot more pictures of them than a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, there are d diverse tribes depicted with very clearly a lab, uh, locked hair. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I use this because you know this was I mean <clears throat> this was something that had a meaning to these people. 
um, we don't see it. Uh, we don't have it anymore because, and this is, and, and the thing is, we have a lot more written descriptions of First Nations people, a hell of a lot more written descriptions of them than we have of uh, pre-Christian Scandinavians. So the fact mm-hmm. that we're even able to dig up any evidence of them having locked hair um, is is pretty remarkable in and of itself. And we have, um, as far as as far as evidence for things in old Norse society goes, it's, it's a pretty decent handful. And we've made a lot. Uh, researchers have made a lot grander arguments with a lot less evidence. Um, yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and the thing is, like, locked hair, um, this is, from the research I have done, it, it even, even today, oaths, uh, like, so among uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhists, those who do it, it's a part of an oath. Um, in, now, Rastafarianism could take us down a whole different path, but in, of the discussion, but within Rastafarianism, uh, one of the reasons why those who have, when Rastafarianism started adopting, because Rastafarianism began to adopt Lakhter, they began to create a new tradition by taking from other traditions. But when Rastafarians started locking their hair, um, part of that was an emulation of the oath of the Nazarene, where he would, uh, where he would not, uh, the Nazarene, would, I forgot how it goes, but uh uh, to never cut that, to never cut your hair, and you will be holy as long as that is. And they also do it drawing from inspiration from Samson, who drew his strength from his locks. Um, and they they have other other sources as well that, that they draw from. Um, but in in Hinduism, it's often associated the the sadhus. They they it's a part of an oath. So mm-hmm. people who do it. I mean, they know that they're going to be essentially counterculture outside of the societal norm. And that's part of why they do it. So, I mean, in no society today are, 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 is locked hair normal. Uh, people, I mean, you might romanticize and think that in Jamaica, it's, it's the norm. It's not. It's countercultural in Jamaica as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what 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 about what about those people who claim this is like a natural thing that happens on the African continent and and so like yeah you know make that argument that it's it's common it's uh, not common I mean no. it, it's it's I mean that's a that's a fact I mean anybody you know um, for one thing Africa is massive mm-hmm. and it's made up of thousands of ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. That's, that's um, but people always refer to Africa as yeah. Uh, that's in these, in these it, pa- this part of the world they do yeah. Well yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this part yeah. If you go to if you if you go to all right. So uh, has Nana ever been on your? She, Nana's been on your podcast. Yes, right? yes. twice. Yeah, I mean her or anybody else from India. Tell them that locked hair comes from Africa, and they go what? Because in that part of the world, it. It's a deeply ingrained part, ancient part of their of their history, mm-hmm. and, and that is a fact. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, so does it happen naturally in Africa? Yes, it happens naturally around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, does uh, so? I do not like it when people start talking about uh, African hair 
versus mm. European hair. This is another um, frustrating example of what seems to be primarily an American phenomenon of breaking people down into large race groups that are quite homogenous. Mm-hmm. Um, within the African diaspora, there's a variety of hair types. Within the European and the Asian diaspora, there are a variety of hair types. Now, yes, there are gradients, but not all African, what you would say, Black people have very uh, kinky hair. Um, But of course, many do. It's much more prevalent among them. Does that kind of hair lock easier than silky, smooth, straight hair? Yes. But does uh i have i have very curly hair mine locks much easier than somebody with silky smooth so there's a gradient all human hair runs through a gradient um and some hair does it easier than other hair i mean and that's that's it's like that i mean i can't it's like that with uh lots of things and it's it goes from a individual to individual basis um but so i think that's one thing we need to remember more as a as a everybody in the world is a humankind the, the people at individual and you can't just group people into white people and black people um i hate that i personally just hate the term like white people because so because it just there's so many different ethnicities and, and cultures within white people and same with same with like black people there's so many different like what do you mean by the term like black people there's there's a bunch of different cultures within that you can't put millions and millions of people into this one group and go you're all the this same is, this is the not. problem this is the problem of what you highlighted before with the the united states as a as a culture in this context basically defining the terms in which we talk about this stuff because and i'm going to refer to uh, james baldwin here uh uh, you know, pretty famous uh, African American uh, uh, author who who pointed out that the racism in America and the racist systems that have been established in America, um, you know, also uh, take away the the right and ability for white people to have an identity outside of being white, um, and that's 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 a that's a fundamental problem that 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 you, American culture. Uh, deals with right now and or it isn't dealing with if you ask me um that 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 people are categorized into these like uh bogus race race categories right that um that that, glosses over a personal identities first of all but secondarily also ethnic and regional and religious and a bunch of other identities that people can have right and this then dumbs down uh, that the conversation that we can have about cultural practices and the real, very real problem of cultural appropriation in certain contexts, and then you know transfers it to this uh, these bizarre segregationist agendas. Sometimes so that's what we're dealing with, and it, you know what it mostly reminds me of is the same kind of fucked up conversations that German Nazi scholars would have would have in in the early 20th century where they were uh, talking about how Southern Europeans would wear jewelry in their ears and on their hair, whereas Northern Europeans, they would wear them on their neck because they were more noble and refined or some crap like that. Like, like we're, we're getting into the same weird territory 
as 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 that and that's really problematic yeah and and, and the thing is um the 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 black uh dreadlock thing where it is now so you were asking how has that become racist um it it has become accused of being racist um and there's a bit of a difference um and and the thing is you know lock terror traditions really became popularized in america um within black identity movements um the black youth faith movement, the Rastafarian movement, particularly. Uh, Rastafarianism um, created or appropriated, however you want to put it, and this is totally normal, humans appropriate, humans share, humans take ideas, and, and that's what happens. Um, now, there is cultural exploitation which is something very different. And I think a lot of people don't realize the difference. They just start saying, oh, you look like this thing. Therefore, you are only allowed to, your experience is X, Y, and Z. And the things that you are entitled to are X, Y, and Z. That's not reality. That's just the rhetoric that has begun to take shape. Now, Black identitarian movements, Rastafarianism particularly, or really Rastafarianism to, to start out with, began taking and shaping this new mythology and this new spiritual belief uh, or, or incorporating Lakhter into their spiritual belief and their ideology, which Rastafarianism is. Uh, it, it's a Semitic uh, form of Christianity, form of, I don't know if it's technically Christianity, um, but it's biblical based. Uh, meets African diasporic folk belief that they've begun to absorb over the years, meets Black nationalist uh, um, ideology, absolutely Black, na black nationalism is, was a big part of it. Um, and, and, and when they began to, to lock their hair, what they were doing was based on all the researchers. It's really interesting looking into the rise of new movements in the early modern period or in the 1900s, because you got a lot more sources, but it's a lot harder to sift through it. So a lot of researchers have been, it's, it's exactly where, when, and how is not something that can be answered other than fifties and sixties. Um, and, and what they started to do was, uh, at that time, you had a lot of Indian immigrants, we still have a lot of Indians in the Caribbean, people from India. You had Sadhus, you had Hindu laborers working in the Caribbean, and they had quite close relationships with uh, Black communities and the up-and-coming uh, Rastafarian movement. So they encountered Lakhter in that context. They also began weaving the ideology in with, uh, like I said, the Oath of the Nazarene uh, and biblical heroes, what would, be, what would become Rastafarian sort of uh, heroes, uh, as well as associating it with the, uh, the Lion of Ethiopia and looking to Ethiopia as this, this, uh, this proud black land. They were also uh, influenced by, and I think this is very interesting, uh, uh, newspaper images of Mau Mau uh, warriors and, and Kenyan warriors who at that time were fighting a brutal guerrilla warfare for independence against uh, uh, British occupation. And so they saw that and they had their hair in, and the Mau Mau did, I think, have their hair in locks. Um, I think. 
um, or it, it, it has become a thing since, since then where those who had their hair in locks, uh, it's become a part of their identity. But the point is they, they saw that, they saw these people fighting for independence against white oppression. They absorbed that ideology. They absorbed ideas from their scriptures and they absorbed <laughs> ganja and dreadlocks <laughs> from, uh, from, uh, cause ganja is a, I think it's a Hindi word. Um, so these ideas from sadhus and they wove a new identity. Now you fast forward that was a way of for certain sects of Rastafarians to express to others their association with Rastafarianism. Um, and now we fast forward to today and you, you've got a lot of identitarian movements and, and, and that, that discourse that this is a way for that idea that has been put out by some people, this is, you can't speak for a whole group of people. So I, I really get angry when people say black people don't like it. Like, what? I, I have, you do not speak for an entire group of people. And you see that coming a lot from, um, well, from both sides of the, of the aisle in the United States. And what people need to realize uh, is that, yes, you as a, if you can wear your hair in a certain way to represent to the outside world that you are a part of a subculture, that you are a part of a movement, that you, you know, if you want uh, to wear locked hair as an outward expression of uh, Black identity, then you can do that. And it is a part of that for you. But the world is made up of pluralities. And, and the world is made up of lots and lots of other movements. Now, one of the very groups that the Rastafarians took locked hair from was the Indo, Indo people, the Indo, the, the, the Indo-European people in India and Tibet, the, the, those Hindu people who were in the Caribbean. Um, so this is just how culture works. We share and we take and new things happen. Um, but, you know, uh, and this is where I'm starting to stutter. So maybe edit out my, edit out my stuttering, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so I'm starting to, uh, but you know, what one group of people, so Rastafarians using locked hair or, or modern, but because it's now among certain groups of people taken on, it's not just Rastafarian anymore. Now it's, uh, among some people, a symbol of black identity, um, but what does that mean for uh, all those other people who have locked hair that aren't a part of that? So a lot of Native American people today, First Nations people will have long hair as an outward expression of their own pride in being Native. Um, is somebody really going to say, well, that means metalheads aren't allowed to have long hair anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Hippies yeah. aren't allowed to have long hair anymore. I mean, the hu humans cultures are plural there are mm -hmm. there are always multiple things going on at once and one of the things so locked hair among white people or and i hate the word white people but i hate i hate saying any race stupid color people mm -hmm. um but i mean that's a colonial thing i mean it's, it's it is and it's some it bullshit is. that that needs to get rid of like it, it is it's absolutely detrimental it's destructive because you know and this is the thing that really gets me is that you've got if you want to white supremacy 
And the, the, the white nationalism, what it wants is people to be separated from each other. It wants the races to stay segregated. Uh, in, and you know, like, there are, when I, it's kind of funny how the far right and the far left are agreeing on these things and white people should do this and non-white people do this. And the thing is humans, you know, we've got to break those race hierarchies because those were created by colonialism. Those were created to uphold uh, the white hegemony. And as long as people keep saying, stick to your race group, stick to your race group, you're not allowed to mix ideas. You're not allowed to blend. You're not allowed to merge with one another. You're not allowed to create new identities. Then that racism is going to stay. Mm. And that's the thing that gets me so pissed because, <laughs> because people with good intentions uh, on the far left, which I am an ally to because I am out fighting. I, I, I have given speeches in, you know, in, in halls with hundreds of people about the dangers of white supremacy, knowing that there's a couple of white racists in that crowd, you know, and you have too, Matthias, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, putting yourself out there because it means something to break it down, uh, to, to try and, and break, do what you can to break down racism and people uh, sticking each other into these boxes that they can't get out of. Um, uh, it's absolutely detrimental um, mm-hmm. when people with good intentions start doing that. They're playing, they're using the same rhetorical discourse. Mm-hmm. Like white people or non, non-black people with locked hair tend to be very far left. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they tend to be. Uh, and they are hugely potential allies or, or they are allies in the fight against racism. They are breaking down racial boundaries. They are breaking what society says you're supposed to do. Um, and when, you know, what good does it do to start railing on an individual? You don't know anything about their history. You don't know anything about their spirituality. You don't know what they, what they are associated with. You don't even know what really what race they are. Because just because they look white doesn't mean you know nothing about their father or their grandmother. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so now we have to start getting into blood quotas and stuff like that. You know, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, that's what this race discussion does. So it, it, it's, it's, I hate it because it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, but it's, it's like this, it's this bizarre uh, a trap that we find our, ourselves in uh, thanks to uh, the colonial policies of, of segregation, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, and this, is, this is important to consider too. Um, you know, there, there's not just one colonial history. There's a lot of different colonial histories, right? Mm-hmm. And there are, um, it, there are some former colonies that have one experience of colonialism uh, there, there are some uh, European countries that have exacted one kind of colonialism. Others have exacted another kind of colonialism, and yeah. some haven't even it been involved. Wasn't all just the British? It wasn't all just the British. Like I mean, <laughs> as, a, as a Dane, there's also the Danes. There's also the Danes, right? Like uh, we, we, we have our specific colonial history um, with the uh, uh, with the North Atlantic, and particularly with Greenland. 
um, where, you know, Denmark tried segregation for about five minutes in Greenland and didn't work. Like, and that was in the 1700s for about five years, I think it was in, this, in the middle right. of the 1700s. Um, and uh, uh, there's a lot of other things you can say that's pretty fucked up about Danish colonialism. Uh, French colonialism is another thing. Uh, Spanish colonialism, right? Uh, Spanish uh, this Spanish co colonialism uh, uh, became in Blancasimento over here in, in 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 the Americas, which was basically the the purpose of like uh, make indigenous peoples more white. So so they in that sense. Uh, 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 promoted more racial mixing than you know the American colonial project of uh, complete segregation uh, of races. Right? That's 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 just to say that these things are very different depending on where they are. And so when when these discourses become uh, if, if, if defined by the you know the, the very hardcore American type of racial segregation then that does not necessarily apply to the, 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 the dynamics that are present elsewhere in the world. And I mean, we can also name uh, European countries that were never involved with any colonialism. I'm pretty sure Slovakia does, doesn't have any <laughs> colonial projects in their ba baggage, right? Um, so, so like this, it's, it's so much more complex, right? And so, so when, you like, when you take that whole pile of fucked up shit that uh, that Europeans have done, and then like you know, throw that over a subject uh, of of hairstyles in contemporary, uh, you know, pr primarily North American but also European uh, uh, culture. Then then you know it's 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 never going to be a successful conversation unless you take into consideration all of these different factors, right? Here, here's here's you know. I think people need to to think about you know what is your objective and and is what you're doing uh what are you doing that's making a diff I mean because at the end of the day what you should be doing is fighting for uh to change the lived realities of 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 people who are being oppressed or 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 and and what is what is the end goal of telling a person that you don't know based on what they look like that they're not allowed to or they should be dressed a certain way or they should have their hair a certain way or perhaps that they're not allowed to eat a certain thing or that they're not allowed to listen to a certain kind of music um or they're not allowed to make a certain kind of music and now they're not allowed to do certain forms of art they're not allowed to have certain forms of spirituality what is the end goal um and does that help people who are oppressed so one one thing that I think is important to mention is that in the United States, even today, right now, uh, there are there there are the remnants of uh, discriminatory rules in various schools and workplaces that have been there since before the civil rights movement, or have some of them have been put in place since then because there are still racist fucks in the United in the world. Mm -hmm. um, that are intended to discriminate black hairstyles and and black ways of dressing and black ways of expressing, you know, black the way that black people are able to naturally express themselves. And those must be targeted and they must be gotten rid of. And we need we we as people, whenever we see 
discriminatory laws or laws that are meant to oppress people or take away certain people's rights, we need to all fight against those. Um, and some of those are uh, in various schools, um, bans on lock terror, for example. Um, and that is intended to target black people. Um, and, and that is going on. Um, and that's something that, you know, because you know, there are knee jerk, uh, non-black people, people who have hair in locks because they, they like the Viking TV show. And now they say, well, I'm descended from Vikings. So I have locked hair because the Vikings had locked hair. Those people are out there and I'm out and I'm here saying, well, they didn't. And they did. But the point is, it was so long ago and it doesn't, it, it, this whole grabbing onto something a thousand years ago and saying that it's your heritage, it's not your heritage. It was thousands of years ago. You are a person in your lived reality. Um, but if you're choosing to lock your hair, you need to understand that there is oppression going on. And you should be, you know, one of those people that are out there saying this is wrong. And, and, and so that, I think, is important that we need to realize that, um, that there is still various forms of inequality. And we all need to kind of come together. And those are the things that need to be fought, not whether or not a person is allowed to wear their hair a certain way or um, listen to certain kinds of music. And especially since... Um, I've done a number of interviews with people who identify as heathen or also through who have locked hair and asked them where it came from and why they did it and, and such like that. And, and where it, and also my own investigation of where did locked hair come from in this neo-pagan, because it's quite prevalent these days in the neo-pagan world. And, and I mean, it originated also in India, <laughs> Goa, and the hippie movement. Um, so it, it wasn't really uh, appropriating Rastafarians per se. I mean, in, in the 60s and in the this 70s. Is also, this is also very interesting in terms of like a, 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 a talking about culture and like what, what, is, what belongs to somebody as, uh, as a cultural thing and what doesn't, you know, those kinds of things. Like, it, it, you know, if locked hair... You know, came into you know Western contemporary Western culture. Let's just call it that, uh, whatever the fuck that means, right? Um, it, 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 through the hippie movement from Goa in the sixties, right? Hmm. So we're like we're like forty five, like fifty years, sixty years out now, where like potentially you could have like three generations in a family. At this point, who have had locked, locked hair. hair? Yeah, like like white people with locked hair, right? Is yeah. that not a tradition then? Like, is that not then a a distinct, you know? But if say if this was in Germany, right? Is that not then a German tradition of locked hair at this point? Like, but it, it yeah, I I mean I I think and you know I was talking a bit about this not to not to drag rune into <laughs> not to drag another unsuspecting victim into this, uh, but rune and I were talking about this and, and he had pointed out I'm going to quote him so I can get away with it, uh, and he had pointed out I mean uh, creating an identitarian movement in the fifties um, uh, that is not. I mean, locked hair, as, as I think is pretty clear now, at the end, after we've been talking about this for so long, has existed in various cultures around the world, and it, and it moves throughout, throughout different cultures. Um, 
So how can any group, particularly a fairly young, I mean, I know you're pointing out that three generations of, say, hippies, that is beginning of a tradition, and I, and I do agree, but locked hair among an identitarian movement, say Rastafarianism, uh, for only 70 years or 60 years, uh, while at the same time locked hair is, is existing in other cultures, do you get to then say, no, this only belongs, this, is, this only belongs to a very specific group of people and others must stop what they've been doing? That's mm-hmm. the problem because that's where we are, where that's what's basically being said. And it's not going to get anybody anywhere because, because why would it? No. And what's the point? No, I mean, um, I mean, like, I don't know, like, if, as as a uh, as somebody who who grew up through the eighties and nineties, uh, and particularly also, you know, in a in a community that was defined by a lot of South African refugees, hmm. um, 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 from apartheid in, in South Africa, right? Like, yeah. what when I'm hearing these things, like, oh, these this group of people can't do something. But this group of people over here can because they they, they came up with it seventy years ago. Like I, my mind goes straight to that, like that situation of of apartheid. And I mean, I, I think um, I, I don't know how, how that was in England, for instance, or 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 or, or elsewhere in in Europe. But but we we were educated a lot on this in school, like watching a lot of like movies about apartheid reading a lot about it and so on that was like that was just part of our education at the time right because it was also you know very relevant right it was in, only in 94 let's just keep that in mind only in 94 did the did, did, did apartheid end right yeah we didn't do we didn't do too much on that at all i'm not at my school anyway uh, it's it, it was definitely a big subject in in a, in a country like Denmark, and 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 like it's it's like this micromanagement, right, of of uh, of populations, attaching these ideas to them, and then saying, oh, you you belong to to this population, you belong to that population, and so on. Like for fuck's sake, the the, the, the South African apartheid was tiered into like whites. Um, people that were classified as semi-whites, like Indians, you know, and you know, different kinds of blacks and and all that stuff. And it's it it was you know a lot of ideas about culture, cultural capacities, uh, what where you could and could not be. All of these things were attached to that, right? And and so when I'm hearing this talk about like oh this this group of people can do this, but this other group of people can't do it, even though they're perfectly capable of doing it. That like takes me straight back to that, and that's really fucking scary, if you ask me. Yeah, it is, yeah. and 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 it it feeds a increasing, increasingly polarized identitarian discourse, where groups become more and more extreme and more and more rigid in what they define as belonging to and being allowed to be practiced by increasingly fictitious <laughs> categories. Um, because we're, we're essentially society is creating categories, lumping people into those categories, despite their lived realities mm-hmm. um, and, and what they may or may not be. So and then and then saying and then ascribing to them what should be their experiences and what should be what they're allowed to do. Um, and, and it's a it's a bad path. 
that mm -hmm. that that we really need to be creolizing and breaking down these 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 rigid structures and the funny thing is i mean what is culture culture doesn't exist culture is also a manufactured concept i mean and any anthropologist will point that modern anthropologists will point that out it's just a bubble that we create but people are lived strands within those i mean no culture can even agree on what its culture is because cultures aren't real they're concepts yeah, so, and they're constantly being being re remade, right? And I mean, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Redefined. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is also, I also want to highlight something here, and that is like, um, it, it, the world is becoming more and more integrated, and and communities are becoming more and more diverse. Yeah. Um, across the board, and this is especially in Europe. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the places I've lived when I was a kid were like, you know, people who were like just regular ass Danish were the minority in those places. And then you had a bunch of people from from Africa and, and from Asia, right? Um, and 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 if you if you start introducing these kinds of ideas into such communities, right, then it, everything's gonna go to shit. Like <laughs> like it's it's it, that that's when it blows up in your face, right? because mm -hmm. because then you know you have you have a one community um that is being isolated um over here and then you have a a, a majority community uh that is you know you know fighting them in different ways and if if you uh if you doubt me on that one just take a look at the history of of the austrian kingdom in the late 19th century and early 20th century i mean it mm -hmm. produced fucking hitler Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I think equally, it's not, you're also giving people the information to maybe, I don't know if arm themselves is the, is the right way to put it, but, but you, you educate people so they can give an educated reply to people who maybe come with the, the other ideas. So it's not just, it's not just a case of people knowing, you know, to be kind to each other and these things, you know, it makes common sense, but, you're able to give put people in a position to then reply in a in a very sort of educated way rather than just be I hope so because you know I, I don't I'm not one of those people I mean you know there's a lot of things where we can't just say oh let's just agree to disagree no there, there's some things where we need to say well that that's incorrect and and this way of approaching something is harmful um let's start having a, a, a at least find a place we can start having a discourse and talk about the things that really matter, what's really hurting people. Um, and, and, uh, but that's the thing we so often, everybody just gets caught up in arguing about the, the small menial things that nobody ever actually talks about the actual issues and the bigger issues. Like you, like you said before, most of the people with mat, you know, matted head dreadlocks, locks however you want to call them most of those people tend to be on the very on the, on the far left left leaning they are allies towards kind of equality but they get caught up in fighting amongst themselves that you never actually get anywhere you just get stuck in this cycle of perpetual arguing amongst yourself that you know it's a snake biting its own tail and it just never yeah. you never get to fight the real issue because you're too busy knocking those around you yeah and at the same time you're if, if you're if you're policing identities like this you're feeding you're also feeding 
the, the very structures that we need to be breaking down, the, those which perpetuate the, the white supremacy and the nationalism and the ethnic, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I very much agree with that. Like, there, there are some, some very serious uh, social and societal issues in plenty of countries, um, both in the UK, uh, there are also issues in Norway where you're sitting. There are there are definitely issues here in the in the US. These 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 actual problems need to be addressed, right? And they fixed, do. so that people get to live the free uh, and and full life that they uh, lives that they that they have the you know the, the capacity to live and 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 this needs to happen, right? But where they we're, feel we're like stuck, stuck a, society, a, a, where they belong to a community, where they're a part mm -hmm. of a society, and our societies are increasingly multicultural, and they need to become shared societies where people feel a part of a society, where they feel creolized, where they, where new identities and new communities are given form, and where people can feel like they're. You, you, you live. I mean. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you've ever even been to the States, but uh, I'm from the States. I've escaped. Uh, Matthias lives there now. And, and you know that, that people struggle so much with identity and belonging mm -hmm. and, and the sense of belonging. And, and, and that, I think, has been created by the, the massive, you know, the colonialism and the, 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 the massive sweeping of identities that that people aren't able to really create local cultures that they feel that they're really a part of. And so they start identifying with things and connecting to things and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I so. do, I do want to quickly just say that we have kind of referenced the USA quite a lot in this episode. And, and I don't think it's in any way intended to kind of bash the United States. It's more, no, it's, case, my, my it's background that, is most familiar with that and, and such. So, and also, it does, it undeniably has a huge influence on global culture. The, 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 I'm going to quote uh, the American General McMasters on this one and say, uh, uh, these, these ideas were exported to the rest of the world. Yeah. Like uh, the, the, he he pointed out that such things has been exported to the rest of the world. That and, and as I was pointing out before, that they don't necessarily apply in the same way. It doesn't mean that that elements don't apply, and that you can't discuss uh, colonialism in, uh, in 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 these other countries. But they don't apply in the same way, and that's that is very. Uh, uh, important to consider in, in, in context of talking about a hairstyle like this one, because it is very much defined by American culture and yeah. not so much by non-American cultures. And that's the thing. And, and that's why we have to talk about America and, on this subject, because um, this is what it, 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 this is just one of those things where, as you say, America is sort of setting the pace, setting the tone uh, and, and the thing is, like <clears throat> most Europeans, when I talk about, you know, I was, I was dreading coming on to have to talk about this, but I, I, I feel that it's important. And so I said, I, I need to. And, I was, and people were like, but kind of like you, Dan, you're like, but what? Since, since when is it a, an issue? And, and lots of Norwegians have locked hair. Um, and people will be like, what? What? You know, ah, it's just an American thing. Oh, just race. Just only Americans have a problem with it. And the thing is, no, it, that American way of thinking is spreading into Europe. It is becoming a part of the European discourse. So we need to talk about it 
with the reference point being the United States. Well, because I absolutely, I know two people that, that I just know personally, and I, the, the friends of mine, but their opinion is that um, white people can't have dreadlocks. And that is their, their opinion is that, that it's cultural appropriation and white people cannot have dreadlocks. And that is what they think. Um, and I mean, people can have their opinions. I'm not going to not speak to them. I, I'm very much, I can separate that, that opinion that I don't agree with from everything else that they, they think on that I might agree with. Um, but they, they're, they're two British, British born people who think that. So it mm. definitely is not just confined to the United States of America. It's, it's even harder to uh, be able to separate that part of their stance from the rest when you yourself have locked hair. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I do. So it, it becomes, it becomes quite contentious and, and people need to, I mean, have your stance, but it needs to be educated at least. Mm -hmm. um, um, and that's the thing is, you know, because as Matias said, it's been a part of it, 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 it. For one thing, it's been going on forever in India. And then it spreads out through these various subcultures, you know, into Rastafarianism in one context, into the hippie culture in another context. And then from there, you know, from the hippie world, you get the, you, you sort of get the you you get the uh, the new the new age sort of movement comes out of the hippie movement and then you sort of have the neo-pagan movement coming out of that and this new earth-based religious uh, movements they kind of all i mean also through isn't rooted in hippiedom but part of its roots do go back to that this rejection mm -hmm. of uh, uh, the modern world and and looking into other sorts of spirituality and so it sort of carried into that. And also it's become very mainstream. You see it everywhere. I mean, uh, musicians, athletes, I mean, it's, it's taken on. Let's not pretend that everybody who has locked hair has it to make a statement. A lot mm. of people have it for, for, for style. My, my, my buddy who I grew up with, he is black and uh, we both love death metal. And uh, his favorite band was Suffocation uh, and a uh, New York death metal band. And, and I remember he once said to me, like, oh, he had a shaved head and he was like, oh, I wish I could have long hair. And I was like, you can. No, I just have a fro. I was like, yeah, but that's cool, man. But just get, like, lock your hair. And so he did. <laughs> and uh, I mean, at that time, two of the guys in Suffocation that were black with, with locked hair, one of them, awesome drummer, Mike Smith, ended up leaving. But now, uh, yeah, anyways, side point. The point is, he got locked hair because he liked the band where they had locked hair. This, mm -hmm. this is human. Come on. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. like how many people? In fact, this goes back to the whole people having locked hair because of the Vikings. That's not, I mean, look, if you want to have locked hair, do it but understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. Don't pretend it's because you're descended from the Vikings because that's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and if you want to have the shave side, so I, oh my God, I can post you, I can send you this. I saw an article today on my Facebook, a guy in jail is in the States is arguing that his, uh, he, he, he wants the long hair on top shaved underneath because that's a viking warrior haircut 
Yeah, that came from the oh, Vikings no. team. <laughs> yeah, it was posted on my Facebook. Oh no! <laughs> see, this is this is these are the real world consequences of that kind of stuff, right? Like yep. this this is why this this is why you know you should really really reconsider what you do when you make popular fiction and depict the people or group of people or whatever uh, in a certain way. It's like all of a sudden you have some dude in prison, for instance, being like, well, this is my religious heritage, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, no, it's not, man. They've done this with beards, too, in, uh, uh, not just in prison, but in the military, where, where people have said that it's, their, it's a part of their religion to have a beard. That one you can justify um, in the same way as, uh, as you have with the uh, locked hair. Um, I'm not talking about Islam. I'm talking about people who identify as uh, also through and saying yes. that's part of also through that mm-hmm. that beards are sacred uh, in also through. And uh, you know what I think is that, and it's the same with Islam actually. Um, the military should have standards, or prison should have standards, um, and they need to rethink those standards based on safety and whatever other reason. And people should not have to justify, oh, well, it's my religion to have long hair or a beard. They should be able to do it for their own spirit, their own spiritual reasons or personal reasons without justifying it. Um, If it's safe to do, and there's no reason to say no, then they should be able to do it. Um, It gets a bit silly when people start leaning on, well, it's a part of also true. I have to have a beard. Mm. You see now, I think most of them, uh, they they want. I think they want to be a for, be it foremost, and then they look exactly. for a reason as to why they can keep their beard after. It's not yeah. because it, it's any. It is any spiritual means for the most part. I'm sure some they are, uh, but when it comes to like outer drive, I, I imagine it's more. I've got a beard. How am I going to get around this problem? That works. I, I would. I would actually say say something different to that and that is like i i think that there's a lot of people men who identify as heathen and also true they identify the beard as a um masculine expression and i can't grow a beard uh, (laughs) well i i i only have a beard because i'm lazy like you know, and this is the same like with my with my hair. Like I, the, the reason I wear a cap all the time is because I don't want to deal with my fucking hair. And you I know, know, I always think you're bald. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> definitely not. Like I have a lot of hair. Um, but I mean, I personally I like to have a very short hair. Like uh, because you the, used to have long hair, and didn't I had you... I had long hair for for a very short while. Didn't you have it associated with an oath? Yes, I actually did. Um, no. Not locked, but uh, I, I, I did, I did the thing of growing out my hair long until I got a PhD scholarship. Like I had, I had made that oath, um, straight up uh, inspired, and I, I will, I will admit that straight up inspired by uh, Harald the Harfakti. Uh, I want, a, I want a picture of you with long hair. <laughs> he's next got week. one. He's got a couple. He's got one with him doing like this. Yeah, you know, he's hair. gonna have to <laughs> but, uh, bring it for next week. But, but, <laughs> But that 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 um, allows me to dovetail into and, and, and you know because let me I think this is an important distinction to make I think it's really important I, I talk to a lot of people who uh, are also through or heathen and they and they have they have locked hair for spiritual reasons and I think that that is valid and interesting I think that if you want a beard for spiritual reasons that is valid um, there's a difference between personal 
spiritual connection to something and saying, oh, it's it's a part of the religion. I, I must have it because it's uh, justified in the, you know, in the lore. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge difference. Uh, and I think it's actually very cool that um, because this this is, you know, uh, also through heathenism, new pagan religions, uh, new forms of traditional knowledge um, and, and animisms and and and. Uh, changing uh, subcultures, growing—it's really fascinating and quite. All of it's quite valid, and often it's influenced by popular culture. Um, but a lot of people, uh, you're starting to like. Matthias did this long hair thing years and years ago, before Vikings were cool, um, and you were inspired by Hauda Hafagri, this legendary figure who goes back in time through, you know, in. The tra- you know, within the traditional knowledge that we draw from when we create modern forms of heathenism. It's the same with Odin and Vaole. You have these mythological figures, these gods who make an oath, or Odin is a con- Odin, you know, his association with liminality and wisdom and, and going through great uh, going to great lengths to achieve wisdom and knowledge and um his connection to locked hair, you know, um, and I mentioned earlier the 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 the, the cognate with Shiva. Um, it, it is not unusual for devotees today of deities to do these sorts of things, these emulations, or to be inspired by an act by a legendary figure. Um, so when modern people are locking their hair because it's a part of their spiritual connection to uh, a deity or a legendary figure, that is such a natural outcrop in the modern world, a, a natural expression to come out of that old form of you know, knowledge that we have. It's, 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 it's very, it's coming out of something. I think it's very cool. I don't know what else to say other than it's very interesting and that it's valid, mm-hmm. um, but, but you shouldn't say, I have to do it because it's a part of my heritage or I have to do it because it's a part of my religion. That's mm-hmm. they're different things. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Let's yeah. Let's wrap this up. I think the, the moral is everyone just be kind to each other, man. Just, just listen to each other. Listen to each um, other. Listen to each other's sides. Don't, don't just assume by looking at somebody that you know their opinions or actually sit and listen and maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you won't. But at the end of the day, at least you listened and, and saw and kind of gave somebody a chance. Um, yeah, this has been fun. I always like the episodes where I kind of get lost in silence for for half an hour and don't say anything and just and just listen. Um, yeah, I, 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 I didn't enjoy know it. I was going to go about it, so I hope I at least made some. Um... No, no, I think you came across very well. You came across. Um, you obviously know your stuff. You've done your research, and that, that's very clear. And I think a lot of people will find this very interesting. I know I did. Like, yeah, that's why I tend to get lost in in silence sometimes because it's just. I'm just listening and then enjoying listening and, and taking on board. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you want to give a shout out to where people can find you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> find me on uh, Instagram. Uh, that's where I've been building myself up. Uh, or find me on Facebook. Uh, I, I'm, I've started, uh, I'm, I'm building up a website and I've started giving online uh, lectures and stuff like that. Uh to 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 pass the boredom away and to start really reaching out um i think it's important to 
uh, I have so many ideas and I want to reach out to people and have discussions with that aren't uh, academics up in uh, the ivory tower. So uh, yeah, give me a follow. You need, you need to come back on and, and talk about Tia as well. We then. could, it'd be a bit, it's an interesting discussion as well. So I, I think uh, it won't top the first time I gave the lecture because the first time I gave the lecture, I had a quote by Jens Peter Schutt that I wanted to argue with and made eye contact with him the whole time while arguing with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jens Peter Schutt is a, a brilliant researcher and a, a great guy. So, uh, but it was, it was fun kind of taking shots at him. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he enjoyed it. I mean, he did, he did. He, he, he loves a good discussion. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matthias, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. Boom. That's there it. We go. All right, I'm going to wrap this up quickly because this has been a long episode. So if you enjoy the show, please leave us a, please leave us a five-star rating, positive review wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, and if you can, please pop over to our Patreon and support us in there. It helps us keep growing the show. Um, yeah, keeps helps us donate more time to it. You get a bonus episode every week. One of them is a Q&A where you get to ask Mateus your question if we, maybe we missed something in an episode or you just have a question about non-anthology podcast. Nordic mythology or the Viking Age. In general, you can ask Mateus. He's going to give you an in-depth answer on there. And the other episode is the story time, like we're going to be doing after this show with Jonas Lorenzen, where he comes in. He comes on as the narrator, has a bunch of different voices. They're excellent. Um, we've got a back catalogue on Patreon now you can listen to. And, and follow us on YouTube as well. You, you can get the uh, you know, uh, chance to see me pick my nose uh, while I'm... Uh, uh, sitting here uh, dropping knowledge bombs and all that kind of stuff so yeah you follow us on youtube sat here i just i just sit here <laughs> that's it <laughs> sit here and smile um yeah oh, perfect josh thank you very much um it's been a lot of fun thanks thank you man